Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Uh, Thank you, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I am enjoying all of those fall tasks and very much enjoying the town I live in. 
Socrates has an absolutely enormous garlic festival, which I went to this weekend. Mm. Such, such fun. And I got the world's best deal. I got 10 pounds of organic garlic for $25. What? Oh, wow. That is a, wow, that's a deal. There were seconds. Oh my the broken goodness. ones and the you know the ones that are too big or too small or whatever like it's okay by me I don't care I'm gonna make pesto I'm gonna make garlic soup I'm gonna have garlic I've already given it away to half a dozen people. Aww. So, and then of course Justine said, "Look at this garlic! How much did you pay for that garlic?" And I told her she said, "I'm gonna get some like that too. You have to show me where you got." So we went back. <laughs> And oh, sure I, enough, on the far other side of their booth, they did have another 10 pounds of seconds for $25. Oh, how how lovely. Oh, my goodness. All of the... I know, mm. We just totally scored. And they're not only organic, but they don't do machines. They're an animal-powered farm. Oh, how fun. We had a wonderful time talking to them, they do a lot of stuff with Sweet Annie, that marvelous, marvelous plant. And um, so we just you know, fell into talking with them, and pretty things that they make. And then as we were leaving, I said, oh, you should check out the website that Justine has made for me. So what is it, SusanWeed.com? And she squealed, oh, my God, you're Susan Weed. Oh, oh. So that's always a thrill. Ah. <laughs> oh, that is so fun. I just assumed they would have known. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, yes, yeah, so that was much, much fun. And then I, today, Corey and I um, worked on the garden out back, which we call the daffodil garden because we planted 200 daffodils there over the years. Mm. And it is quite the daffodilly beauty in the spring. We planted 50 of the biggest cloves of garlic from my score of garlic. Wow, that's a lot of planting. That will be a fun harvest. Wow. That will be a fun harvest. And Michael said, so are they just growing to garlic? I said, mm-mm. No, each one of those, it's like planting a tulip or a daffodil. Mm-hmm. And you do it, you know, at the same time. You want to get them in there so that they have time to grow before it gets too very cold. And Mm -hmm. the garlic actually planted a little ahead of when you would plant the other bulbs. And like the bulbs, all it wants to do is send up a green stalk, have flowers, and die. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so we gardeners say, na 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 and cut off the flowering stalk <gasps> because when the garlic isn't allowed to flower, it says, all right, if you want, let me do that. I'm just going to make more of myself, and that's when it makes what we call the garlic bulb. Mm. Interesting. So you cut the flowers. See, we've never, we've done so many onions. We did shallots, thanks to you last year, but never garlic. <sighs> How did your shallots come out? They came out great, but now I'm wondering, like, should they have been, should we have been cutting those flowering stalks too? But no. they were big and fabulous. Okay, but, so no, but, we did. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you want to use the greens on those, you, you can. It's just garlic that, that does that. Okay, okay, great. Because we did enjoy the greens from the shallots, and then some of them got real oh. big, and then some of yeah. them medium size, but they were all delish. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much with those kinds of things, get the size you plant. You can't plant like a tiny little garlic bulb and get, you know, garlic clove and get a big garlic bulb. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So if you plant a big one, it will make big ones. Got it. So that's yeah. why I went through and picked up the biggest and the best of them. Nice. The ones that mm. still had their skins. And I'm not too worried that the deer or the moles or the woodchucks will eat them. I think... My, I think our planting is safe from all the, all the onerous critters. What do you think? I think so. I haven't had those critters dig up any of my salads or onions, so hopefully they would leave the garlic. That's what I think. And, of course, today we were sitting there saying, who shall we, which goat shall we breed? Have you already decided on it's your so breeding? We were, we've been asking the same question, which goat shall we breed? Um, I, I think if we do it, which I think we are going to, it'll be um, one of the girls that was born in 2021, I think. Good and, age be a mom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think they're all um, in their heat today because they were going at it. Um, you know, with each other. It's like, my goodness, I had to do some change-up. They really getting frisky and jumping on each other, huh? Oh, yes, yes. And the chief goat, without her horns, she's like messed her head up. She's been at it so much today. So, whoo, they are (laughs) feeling it. (laughs) Are any of them wagging their tails? Oh, yes. They're all, it's a big tail fest. Oh, yeah. Big tail wag, all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I yes, need to... Yes, it is definitely and... awesome. The, the ruminants are saying, hey, I think it's time to make next spring's babies. Yep. Somebody said, mm-hmm. is it safe to put up my bird seed? I said, did the bears hibernate yet? I said, no, the bears have not gone into hibernation yet, and they're looking for your bird seed, so go ahead and put it out. Like, went, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. They live more up in a more forested area than I do. We don't have bear here. There's, you know, the acreage where you go out in the woods, there's a, there's a small bear. That lives mm. around here, but many other places oh. that are much more in the woods, they get a lot of bear traffic. Interesting. It's a very, very full area. Hmm. Wow. I've never had the blessing to see one in person. I would like to one day, but, you know, from a distance. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I read a, a little slightly disturbing thing today. Um, and it, it's not even that the thing itself is so disturbing. It's just that the way I suspect that it's going to be put out into the public will be disturbing. 
And that's mm. kind of far-fetched. And I usually don't do far-fetched like, things like that. But it just seems so obvious how this is going to go. They took a look at women who had Alzheimer's and their connection to hot flashes, and they found that women who had more hot flashes were more likely to have Alzheimer's. Oh, wow. I've had hot flashes now for four years. <laughs> now, of course, it goes on to say, well, this doesn't in any way prove that hot flashes are causative. But, you see, I think they're going to, like, use this to steer women to take hormones well. You need to take hormones uh, so you don't have hot flashes, because if you have hot flashes, you'll get Alzheimer's. Right. That makes sense. And... I recorded my Healthy Life show, HealthyLife.net, for October. I think it's up already. And it's on cinnamon. And it turns out that cinnamon in your diet actually prevents those beta amyloid tangles from building up in your brain. Wow. So my take on this is don't worry about your hot flashes. They did finally at the very, very end of the article admit that it was more likely to be a connection between women whose menopause was induced by chemotherapy or removal of ovaries. But again, you have to read deep into these studies to really see everything and I know that, you know, people who write for the public just skim the top. Absolutely. Yep. And there's a big push to get women back on hormones, to convince women that hormones are once again healthy for them. Yeah, I just don't get that. And, you know, I had a conversation with someone this weekend, maybe this, I don't know, but if there's time, like, what hormones even are they? Because they wouldn't be giving you estradiol. That would be ridiculous. So, like, what are they giving you? Like, I, I don't even really understand. That is what they're giving you. It is ridiculous. What? Oh, my God. Because, because to them, that is the only estrogen there is. The other 29 don't count. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, my God. You know, here we have a mechanism by which we are relieved of the burden of actually a very dangerous hormone, allowing us to live long and healthy years. And when I think about it, wow, you know, um, there were the years before I started menstruating, and now there have been all the years since I stopped menstruating. And those are far more than the years I spent menstruating. Oh, right. Right, there's this, there's this kind of like cultural thing that the menstruating fertile woman is the archetype of woman and that, that her maiden self doesn't really count and her crone self doesn't really count. Oh. As a matter of fact, oh. was one of the points that I made at my talk on menopause at Red Earth. I had a whiteboard, 
and I wrote uh, pre-menopause, perimenopause, post-menopause. And we said all of these words have menopause in them, but none of them are the word menopause, are they? Mm. Uh-uh. No. And I was reading an article today about a woman in late perimenopause. Uh. Oh, my goodness. Uh. Right? Anything to avoid saying a menopausal woman. So since I had a whiteboard, I just took the whiteboard and it wiped off. I said, let's just get rid of the bees and wiped them away. And said, ah, now we're left with the menopause. Let's talk about that. Nice. And yes, you know, you're going to be um, experiencing a lot of shifts and changes. October is menopause month. Oh, I didn't even know. And I mentioned earlier in the year that we had sold the millionth copy of New Menopausal Years, and that we're celebrating that, and Justine and Allie are putting together a special webpage with all kinds of deals, and uh, we're looking up some fun things. We're going to go up in the attic and see if there's still copies of the book with the original cover up there. Wow. I will. And just, Justine and I are doing a series of videos that I'm calling Menopause 101, Menopause for Beginners. Oh, that is so great. That is but We've already done the first five. I'm hoping to do between 20 and 25, and uh, those will be up on the page as well, and I'm hoping that that page will be up very, very soon. And I also went and looked, and the um, course that I talked about earlier in the year on post-viral syndrome is up at um, wisewomanschool.com. And one of the things that made me think about that was the CDC, I think, just released reports saying that they found that most people were having, still having symptoms two years after they were diagnosed with COVID. Wow. So post-viral syndrome, and somebody said, well, what do you do to swing from the lungs? And I said, well, the odd thing about post-viral syndrome is it's not your lungs. It gets into your brain. And then it can actually change how your heart is operating. So the post-viral syndrome, of course, goes into what's going on with post-viral syndrome, who can help you, what you need to look out for, and then um, not just herbs for the lungs, but herbs for your heart and herbs for your brain and nervous system and some other very special herbs. Hmm. Wow. So if you haven't been by Wise Woman's School in a little while, you might want to go and check it out. I don't know where the menopause celebration page is going to be, but I bet you anything that it will be announced in the newsletter and announced on Facebook. Mm, I love that menopause celebration. That's beautiful. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> the only book yeah. I've ever revised but I couldn't resist since mm. I was the lone voice saying don't take hormones mm. 
when the book came out, and then 10 years later, uh, you know, the evidence was in that taking hormones is not good for your heart, exactly as I had said, so I could not resist going na 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 na, and of course expanding the book by a third. <laughs> well, I'm uh, glad you did that. I, I still love to see first. We have a really interesting guest with us tonight. He's going to be talking about something that might be a little bit off the uh, beaten path for mm, the kind of things that we usually discuss. Sam Garcia is the author of Regenerative Business, How to Align Your Business with Nature for More Abundance, Fulfillment, and Impact. And he's going to be here to, um, I'm sorry, Sam is going to be here to um, talk about living earth systems with um, her husband, Eddie Garcia, that's their business. And they live off-grid on a regenerative farm in Oluwalu. And I'm not even really sure where Oluwalu is. It sounds a little like New Zealand to me. So stay here until 9 o'clock or circle on back to hear what Sam Garcia has to say about aligning your business with nature. And it doesn't have to be a business that is nature. All businesses can be aligned with nature. You're going to learn a lot. What else do you want to talk about that's going on with you, Sarah? Oh, we don't. It's been just like you said, just uh, getting everything ready. We got a halo delivered today and just falls in. Uh, we're going to get our Hello. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, in the barn. Yes. Yeah. We, we, we got some firewood delivered. Mm, nice. We, yep, we talked to the firewood man, too. He happens to be the hay man this year because our first hay man, <laughs> haha, bet on us. So, fortunately, we met a nice neighbor. Firewood and yeah. hay. <laughs> firewood and hay. Hooray. Right. Right. important things in the country autumn. Yes, indeed. Getting yourself indeed. and your animals set up for food and warmth in the wintertime. Yes. Oh, feels good to have that check mark mostly complete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, no, that's about it for me. Um, I see lots of callers in the queue, but I don't see any hands. Um, so I'll remind everyone that if you've got a question and want to speak live with Susan this evening, uh, please press 1, and then we will see your hand go up and be able to open your line, and you can ask your question. Um, let's see. I do see one hand that has been raised. Susan, if you're ready to go to questions. Yes, let's go to questions. All right, excellent. All right, for the first caller, you're dialed in from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. How are you? Hi. Hello. I loved your story about the garlic festival. That sounds so fun. (laughs) It is a wonderful event. It usually draws between 20 and 30,000 people. 
Oh, my God. It's yeah, really I would have loved to be there. Huge yeah. Hundreds of people selling everything from garlic to, somebody was talking about garlic coffee. We weren't sure that they really had it, but certainly there's, you know, <laughs> all kinds of other garlic stuff there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it sounded really, really just perfect for the fall weekend that finally turned nice after all that. After all that all rain. All that rain. Yeah, yeah, all that rain. Because I'm in New Jersey, so we had a ton of rain. rain. Too. Yes, yes. Well, um, I called in tonight. I wanted to check in with you because I've been having some eye things, and I tried to look up, uh, you know, on your site, and I, I really was having trouble finding info. Um, but I, I'll, I'll describe what the symptoms are. It seems like they are, um, they have some matter in them, um, and they, uh, especially one of them, the right one, gets puffy in the morning. Um, and it, it's like there's a little, almost like a bump on the eyelid of the right eye. Um, but it's not on the edge of the eyelid. It's on the top, but it's it's in the middle, uh, sort of more the part that disappears when you open your eye into the fold. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And uh, they itch a little bit, um, you know, like definitely extra sleep in the morning. Um, and I've done, you know, salt water uh, and apple cider vinegar compresses, worm compresses. Um, and it, it, they're a little better, but it's not going away. And when I talked to my eye doctor, uh, they said, well, you know, you should get these drops that, you know, you can get over the counter. And when I looked at the drops, I didn't like the ingredients, um, so I didn't get them. And it was only just to kind of make them feel better. It wasn't actually to make it go away. Um, so I decided to, you know, kind of wing it <laughs> and try to care for it myself. Um, but anyway, that's that's about as far as I've got. The compresses, um, like I said, are are keeping it not getting worse, I guess, but right. not also going let's, away. Let's use some more effective agents in your compresses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. is a little harsh. Yes, yes. Yeah, I kind of did, that's true, I did kind of stop using the vinegar. Now I'm mostly using just the salt. And it was only a dash of the vinegar anyway in a large bowl. So I don't think it was doing much, but you're right. I I kind of, and also felt that the warm compresses were almost like a little too much for my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Chickweed is starting to grow again. Are you in New Jersey? There should be some chickweed around. Look in your potted plants or the edges of your garden. See if you can find some chickweed. Yeah. It fresh and smush it up until it's moist and just lay it on your eyelid. Close your eye and lay it on your eyelid and just rest with it on your eyelid. Even Mm. five minutes is good. Mm, Okay. Are there... Very, very soothing thing to eyes is cucumber. 
Okay. And depending on how much soothing you want, you can cut thin slices of cucumber and lay, layer them over your eye. Or you can grate up the cucumber and put the grated cucumber pulp on your eye. Okay. Okay. Tea bags are also an old, old remedy for achy, itchy, sore eyes. And you can actually mm-hmm. use any tea bag, green tea, black tea, it doesn't matter. Um, after you made tea from it and the tea bag is still wet, um, and you could cool it if you want a cool compress and put it on your eye. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So there's some choices of things I mm-hmm. will have a more direct and dramatic effect. Okay. Okay. Those all My sound fine. From the symptoms you're describing is that you're having a mild allergic reaction to something. A mild re- allergic reaction. Yeah, an allergic okay. reaction causes swelling and itching. Yeah, that's true. And it kind of happened overnight. You know, it wasn't there, and then it was. Mm-hmm. Is it worse in the morning or better in the morning? It's worse in the morning. I might, you know, it's. I feel like my body's been working hard on it all night, you know, kind of uh, trying to clear it. Um, but as the day goes on, well, it seems to bother me less. It's not a matter of clearing it. A reaction of swelling and itching is a healing reaction. Your body wouldn't clear it. You could stop mm-hmm. producing histamine if it no longer needed it. Mm-hmm. It's not like something is attacking you. Your body is responding to something it deems is a threat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if it's worse when you wake up, that threat is probably in your bedroom. Mm. It could be as simple as you changed the stuff you wash your bed clothes with, your bed linen. <laughs> yeah, that that isn't it, but I'm sure I could search around and see if there, you know, if there is anything. If there's anything that's changed. Mm-hmm. Anything that's changed. And, yeah. And if not, sometimes... Uh, for no apparent reason, people do become more sensitized to dust mites. Mm-hmm. And there are dust mites everywhere, for sure. And mm-hmm. I remember the first time I was in Europe and seeing all of the women haul all of the bedding outside every day, shake it out and put it in the sun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to do that. Is it possible to, I'd sort of, to get it in the sun in my yard, I'd have to have it on the ground, which I guess probably isn't the best idea. Maybe on a tarp. I could lay out a tarp first. No yeah. trees. Trees. Well, the trees, yes, but they're not 
reachable from by normal sized people. Um, I have a clothesline, but it's in the shade. You know, it's become in the shade because the trees have gotten so big around the house. That's good enough. That's that's count as being in the sun. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Okay. I'll try all of those things. Thank you. Give it a try. What happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking it might have something to do with something I don't want to see. <laughs> um you know, like something. But is that really in, interfering with your seeing? It's not really, not exactly. Well, it kind of makes me feel like sheltering myself, like makes me feel like not going out, not watching things, not, you know, just kind of keeping my eyes closed more. It does make me feel that way. So, more but internal. Anyway. And let it be a call to be a little more internal. Let it be a call to meditate a little longer. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Thank you. Nothing that that we have to push back against. That sounds like a nice call. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at this time of year. Especially at this time of year. Thanks so much for your call. Three Thank you, Susan. You too. Take care. All right. And if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1. That will get your hand up in the queue, and we will announce your area code when it is your turn. At this time, I see one hand that is up also from the 908 area code. Um, so, again, from the 908, you are live with Susan. Uh, hi, Susan and and Sue Ellen. Hi, it's Carol. Hey, hey, Carol. How are you tonight? Uh, hey, wonderful. So I'm asking you about the astragalus sticks when you put them in a soup and you cook them. When you take the soup out, uh, do you, what do you do with the sticks? Do you try to scrape the Meat off the, well, whatever, off the... If there isn't any meat on them, you throw them away. Throw them away. Okay. And the good Everything that you needed from them, you got. Okay. That's perfect. And and you put them in almost every soup, right? I just took two quarts of nettle soup out of the freezer because we wanted nettle soup for Saturday's class, and it was just pouring rain. And I threw oh. in, oh, maybe uh, an ounce of astragalus, which cooked in that soup for a good couple of hours. So, uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, I really cook it into the soup. I make sure that it, it tasted so good. The astragalus was so sweet and delicious. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yum. If I'm yum. making, a, if I'm making a, a broth, a vegetable broth, I'll always put at least, you know, one or two pieces of astragalus in. Yes. Oh, wonderful. And um, in, in some of your material, uh, I have to look, um, have you talked about um, urinary tract infections and, like, blood in the urine? 
Yes, there's a section about that in down there. Oh, down there. Okay. Down okay. there. Depending on where you are with the bladder infection, it's very, very beginning. Corn silk might be enough. Then Uva Ursi is a stronger helper. And, of course, Yarrow is a beloved helper, as well as unsweetened cranberry juice. Blueberry juice, actually, if you can get that, it's a little more difficult to get. Uh, both of them help to um, prevent bacteria in the bladder from forming a... Uh, like a colony, like they make like a biofilm in the bladder, and that then makes the infection much more difficult to get rid of. And so using either cranberry or blueberry juice with the other herbs helps the other herbs get in there and get rid of the infection. That's wonderful um, advice. Unsweetened cranberry juice when you can get it at most grocery stores. Most researchers have sweetened cranberry juice. Oh, okay. So maybe that, that's a health food store thing. Yeah. Usually it's a concentrate, unsweetened cranberry concentrate that you get at the health food store, yeah. Usually the cranberry juice at most supermarkets is part cranberry juice and part apple juice. Oh, yeah. Because cranberry, let's face it, is very tart. When I make my cranberry sauce, I do put sugar in it. It's just, it's too tart not to have some sweetener in it. So right. if you're using it medicinally, you just, you know, stir a little into some water and drink it down fast. It's certainly no more tart or worse than people who drink vinegar. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, I, I, don't, I came on late. But I always like to hear what you're putting up or what you're making in the kitchen. Did you say that tonight? We, I planted, Corey and I planted 50 cloves of garlic today. And then I set oh, wow. up the table and peeled garlic because we want to make garlic soup. And I'm going to make a bunch of pestos because the cold is coming. So I need to harvest all of my basil and make pesto, especially the opal basil and harvest the parsley and make parsley pesto, and um, I love to make dandelion leaf pesto at this time of the year. There's still some chiso leaves. I'm going to make chiso pesto, and oh, we got two fennel from the CSA, and fennel frond pesto is amazing. So it's all of this garlic, and oh. of garlic that I bought. I got plenty of garlic and my cellar of salt, and uh, Michael's Filling up my olive oil cans, I'll have plenty of olive oil, and we're just going to get to work making pestos. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. I always like to hear, and um, uh, when I came to your your house one time before, you had the apple festival, and you, gra- you know, you pressed apples. Is that, uh, do you do that still, Susan? We did that last year. But I'm not going to do that this year, partly because um, we have a lot. Of, we made a lot of applesauce last year, and we look at the freezer, and there's like bag upon bag upon bag of applesauce. And we said, let's just like eat the applesauce we already made. And, oh, yeah. Um, it's a real thrill 
to have a thousand pounds of apples, but it's also a lot of work to have a thousand pounds of apples. Oh God, yes, it is. So we're going to take a little break on it since it's, you know, there's just the two of us here. And, uh, you know, often when we did that before, there was an apprentice, a fall apprentice group here. But the woman who was thinking of coming as a fall apprentice managed to scare herself away. And better that she scare herself away before she get here than she scare herself away when she's already here. Oh, yes, yes. Um, you freeze the applesauce flat in a Ziploc bag, like. That's exactly what we do. Because our shelves oh, for canning right. applesauce are full, so then when we can't can anymore, we freeze it. Oh, wonderful! But and we were gonna uh, we were gonna can some tomato sauce, but we have wound up just eating it all. Oh. It's so good. Okay. And mostly we've made it into tomato soup. Tomato soup and cheese soaked. Oh, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about when I uh, gave the presentation on after at Red Earth is I wanted to talk about really good comfort food. And that people oh, tend yeah. to make this, like, dividing line and say, oh, well, I can't have comfort food because comfort food is bad. But, you know, wow, homemade tomato soup with your own goat's milk and cheese toast on your own homemade sourdough bread with your own goat's cheese, that's comfort food that's really good for you. Uh, yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, and and um, did you talk about the conference, the Red Red Rock? What, what was it in Colorado? Red Earth Conference in Colorado. A little bit, there's so much to talk about. First of all, we were at 11,200 feet. Oh, wow. And there was a 14,000-foot peak that towered over us there. I think the oh, native beautiful. name I think the native name for it is the heart of the mountain stands here. Oh, and, wow. yeah, it was a beautiful place with this beautiful river, the, the Crystal River that ran through it, and we were so warmly welcomed. We had such good food. Infusion was served all of the time. There were about 130 uh, to 150 women there, and there was a children's camp, and there was a, a teen thing, and the teens did a performance for us, and there were fabulous workshops and vendors of all kinds of things. Um, oh. and yeah, you know, there's just nothing like being in women's space in women's community. And the week before we gathered, I talked to Astrid, who organizes it, and she said, you know, why do I do this? Why do I do this? This drives me. Oh, you know, it's such hard work. It's such hard work. And it's not oh, like I, I make money on it. I said, no, you probably lose money. I said, and you do it because once you are have experienced women's space, it is so important to you that you're willing to put out a lot of time and effort without any pay to create that women's space both for yourself and for others. Yes. Women's culture is so important to women. And now, more than ever, we need to very loudly declare 
that there is women's culture and that it is important for women to have space to gather together in all of their ages. Yes, wonderful, awesome. And um, so... Uh, I gave a workshop on menopause on an island in the middle of the river. That was a lot of fun. And it was right after Eagle Song's workshop on Hawthorne, and that was a, a, it wasn't on Hawthorne, it was about, her first workshop was on Hypericum and Shingles, her experience with Hypericum and Shingles, which is why I wanted to be there, because I wanted to find out some details. And um, it was a fabulous workshop. She's such a wonderful presenter. We're so lucky to have her at uh, the conferences. The, uh, she presented at the Comfrey Conference from England, and she presented at the Hyperica Conference, and I think she's uh, offering to present at Rich Lover, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, wow, we are so lucky to have her. And then I got to do something that I haven't done before, which is to give a, a three-hour workshop called After. Because what I see is that that's about everybody who's out there does a pretty good job of helping, but then once they help you, then after is pretty much on your own. And especially where oh. there's been trauma, surgery, uh, things like that, aftercare is very, very important. So I really yeah. got to spend a long time talking about that, and it was very thrilling for me. Yes. Amazing. Um uh, could I ask one more question? Um, because I don't know if there was anybody in line again and what time. Oh, yeah, there's time. Okay? There's time. Time. Okay. So I've been working with my knee. Um, it, it, when I was just walking, it buckled. And then, and then it started really hurting. And then... Um, I got, uh, I went to the orthopedic and I had an x-ray and he said, um, arthritis, but, uh, it wasn't much at all. Uh, so then it started, I did some acupuncture and that seems, seems to be helping. And I got, a uh, high, high, um, well, a high-octane CBD cream, and I was putting that on. It said you have to do it morning and night. So I did that, and um, I, I did the castor oil pack, and um, it seems it's gotten a lot better. And I just was wondering if there's anything else that you would uh, recommend. Uh, I can walk now. I can walk. I'm so glad to hear that. The thing that I usually remind people when they're dealing with these kinds of things, which can be so disturbing, is that pepper is an irritant. Oh, right. And if you haven't already removed pepper from your diet, this is the ideal time to do so. Yes. And that means, like, fresh red pepper or uh, paprika, those kind of spices, too? 
ideally. Yeah. Black pepper. And what I say to people is give it a try. And if it's worthwhile, then you'll want to keep doing it. If it's not, then you'll gradually go back to eating pepper. I will say that over 99% of the women who come and live with me here, even for periods as short as two weeks, don't go back to eating pepper because they see that quickly what an enormous benefit it is. Right, right. So, I know it sounds kind of odd, and pepper is certainly an herb, and it's used by a lot of herbalists, but it's not an herb that I use, and I find that people overuse it, and it can be quite addictive. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And then, um, on the garden, did you, have you pulled out all the things that, in your pot, have you no, or do you leave them for the like for the birds and stuff? You have you pulled everything out? I'm not exactly sure what you mean. Corey and I removed grass from the garden today. But we didn't fill up the tansy or the elecampane or the motherwort or the mullein or the bed straw. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have a little bit of kale growing, so I'm just, I mean, it can stay there. Um, and I did get to the point with the lamb's quarter that it, I did it in the paper bag like you taught us. Took the, the seeds into a paper bag. You shook the seeds into a paper bag. That's what you said to do with the lamb's quarter. Actually, what I said was that when I harvest them, I put them into a paper bag to take them where I'm going to dry them, and then I take them oh. out of the paper bag and hang them up to dry. That's oh, what I actually I said. I did not say that I left them in paper bags because I don't. They're mowed okay. up in there. Yeah. Okay. But I put them in paper bags, not a basket, because the seeds are falling out even as you harvest them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right, And so right. if you put it in a basket, you're going to lose all that seed. And if you put it in a paper bag or even a plastic bag, you will save it, but you can't leave it in the paper bag. Oh, okay. Like a jar. Put them in a jar. No. They're not dry yet. Oh, I see. Okay, now I They have it. to be hung up to, you have to go back and read it. It says, I harvest them, okay. I put them in paper bags to take them inside. I then take them out of the paper bags and hang them to dry over a floor lined with plastic or paper. Oh, got it, got it. Yeah, some of these things take so much knowledge, you know, like you're sharing. So much technique. I appreciate that. 
you're welcome. It's just a matter of not wanting to lose all the seeds. No, right. Right, so things like nettle, you know, you just pick and carry inside. You don't have to put it in something to carry it inside because nothing is dropping off the nettle. Yes, right. actively dropping off the lamb's quarter as you carry it inside to hang it up to dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you don't need to... And we want to stop that. And what? Oh, and you, 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 once you cut the stalk off, you pluck the root. You don't leave the root in your pot. Correct? It depends on what I'm going to do with that pot. Whether or not I leave the root or take it out. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So much. I, I love you, Susan. I, I love, love you, you, Carol. Thanks for your questions <laughs> always. Green blessings and good night. Green blessings, big hug. All right. And it looks like we have two callers that have pressed one to signal that they have a question. And we'll go first to the 541 area code. And your line is open in the 541. You are live, Susan. Good evening. Hi, Susan. Um, Hi. Yeah, I wanted to check in with you um, to talk a little bit about my dad. Um, sorry, we've got a toddler who wants the phone as well. <laughs> he wants the phone. Oh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, my dad is um, 78. He's got dementia, and he's about to get a hip replacement surgery um, in a few days. And, you know, I think I've pretty much... I'm able to encourage all the good things that you talk about um, with, you know, infusions and have some echinacea kind of, you know, available. Um, We've kind of changed some things around um, in his uh, living situation. So he has like a comfortable chair. And I think, you know, me and my mom, who's his caretaker, just wanted to hear um, from you if there's anything, um, you know, that that maybe we haven't thought of that could be helpful for this situation. Tell me a little more about his dementia. Is it mostly just um, short-term memory loss? Um, he is, I would say, somewhat advanced on that path um he um he um sorry (laughs) um yeah so he um definitely has the short-term memory issue um but yeah he's also you know starting to have more difficulty like going to the bathroom on his own and 
um, other kind of basic things. How much do you understand about what's happening with this hip replacement? What's happening with it? Yeah. Um, well, basically, it's like a really severe case where he has this, like, you know, deteriorating hip, and he can't um, really be mobile uh, very well on his own anymore. And, um, and yeah, he's just in a lot of pain. Um, it kind of manifests in a different way. He doesn't really say he's in pain, but um, he, you know, had gone a few years ago and... Let me just answer my question about him. Oh, You're sorry. asking me about your dad. And now you're talking about some... Doesn't even sound like you're talking about your dad. Okay. I am concerned that he will not understand what has happened. Mm-hmm. And that all of the benefits you think it's going to get for him will turn into a nightmare. Okay. You um, have you have all these goals for him that don't sound to me like goals he would have for himself. I certainly understand not wanting to be in pain. Uh-huh. But he actually sounds like somebody who'd be very happy in a wheelchair. Mm. Your goal is for him to be up and able to take care of himself. I don't know if that's his goal. Yeah, I don't know that it's that. I think we were... This is a huge operation which requires his vigorous participation for him to be able to walk afterwards, Uh which I don't think is going to happen. I think he's going to wind up in a wheelchair. Hmm. You need to seriously look into what kind of rehabilitation is required after the hip replacement and whether or not your dad is up for it. I just had a friend who went to inquire about a replacement and the doctor said, we're not even going to talk about that until you've had the cortisone shot. So if we're talking about an elderly person with dementia who's in pain in a joint, a cortisone shot is probably a first thing to do. Although it doesn't make as much money as a hip replacement. They have done that. Um, I think at least They have done that. Okay. Yeah. And it was relieving. Huh? Um. In the last visit, the doctor mm. told my mom it would be inhumane if he didn't, you know, deal with the the joint issue that it would be causing so much pain. That, they that is a really interesting choice of word. Uh-huh. And I call that emotional manipulation. Yeah. Well, it sure did, yeah. 
Yeah. It's emotional manipulation right there, isn't it? Yeah. Inhumane by whose standards? By your dad's standards? This is your dad we're talking about. He's an actual human being who has his own needs and desires. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, he is. Not your needs and desires, not my needs and desires, not the doctor's needs and desires, not your mother's needs and desires. His own needs and desires. Her really dear friend died a few months ago, and her husband said to me, the hardest thing I ever did for her was let her choose what she needed right now because I knew that I could bind her here with my love. And he chose to love her Enough to say, choose what you need. Right. How old is your dad? He's 78. Is he going to actively participate in the rehabilitation? Um, no, he, I mean, <laughs> I don't think if he he's really... If he's not actively, if he is not actively yeah. going to re- assist in the rehabilitation, that is inhumane to do a hip replacement. Yeah, I guess that part a of A hip it... replacement is not going to put him out of pain. It's going to increase his pain. <laughs> It's uh, surgery. It's not a walk in the park. No, of course not. And I think we anticipated those difficult few weeks coming out of it. Um, we just have seen his overall health is like, like he still seems strong. And um, I don't know. It's it's, it's yeah. It it is a confusing situation because he is kind is of... Is he coherent enough to talk about this? Like, could you sit down with him and say, the doctors want you to have a hip replacement, you will be in the hospital for this long, you will be under anesthesia for this long, the rehabilitation will require this of you, do you want to do this? Can you have that discussion with him? No, he really can't. Because? Uh, He just can't follow, and sometimes, you know, he uh, he just kind of talks in random sounds. So if you said to him, do you want a hip replacement, that simple statement, he wouldn't understand what you were saying. Honestly, I'm not totally sure. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. uh-huh. No, I totally hear you. And has he signed a, a proxy? I, I'm i actually not 
sure about that. I know my mom, you know, is basically his decision maker at this stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with his care. So again, you know, I'm not for it or against it. Yeah. What I'm for is his self determination. Mm-hmm. And that what I see, especially with people with dementia, is that the needs and wants of the caretakers become projected onto that person and they manipulate the person in ways that they tell themselves are good for that person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard me rant about empathy because I don't actually believe that most people who say they're empathetic are empathetic at all. And that's partly because um, I hear from people who say that they're empaths is that what they pick up on is all the misery and the pain. And I think, wow, well, if you were really an empath, you'd be picking up on the pleasure and the bliss and all the orgasms, too. Right. (laughs) Right? And you ever hear anybody say, oh, I had such a bad day, I had 50 (laughs) orgasms today. Right. Right? So we Um, have to be very diligent with ourselves not to project our needs onto the people we're caring for. Yeah. To really, really put ourselves in that other person's shoes. Wow. If I was 78 and I couldn't follow a conversation, would I want to be operated on basically without my consent? Would I want to wind up in rehabilitation after this pretty major surgery? I mean, the, the pain of this surgery is major enough that they usually prescribe addictive opioid drugs afterwards. What kind of pain-relieving drugs is he taking now? Well, um, that is something we have addressed um, last month. Yeah, he just he seemed quite distressed, and we were guessing it was from pain. And I did go out and get him some CBD. And then I came home. After a few days of that, He it was really relieving for him. And then I made my own remedy here at home, and he's been using that. Um, And that has, it seems, been keeping him pretty comfortable. So we were, you know, continuing that. What I'm suggesting is you're going to trade off a situation where you can keep him comfortable without drugs for a situation where he'll have to take drugs to be pain-comfortable. Right, yeah. I I mean, I had certainly not maybe thought as deeply about the level of pain that he would be in after the surgery, although I knew there would be, like, a curve. I think I'd heard you talk about replacements before. Um, And, yes, I know it must be very different for kind of a healthy person who just has the one joint um, and that it's usually relieving of pain. So, um, 
I think I might so, have yeah, mentioned. I mean, yeah, I might have mentioned last week that a woman came up to me after I did the presentation on after, and said that it was amazing that I had talked about my ostomy. It made her realize that she'd had a shoulder replacement, but that she had walled herself off from that and not allowed that shoulder replacement to actually be part of her. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you saying So even for a healthy person, even a person healthy in mind and body, a replacement is a big deal. Yeah, I'm sure. very cautious when I when I don't know that person, and when I do know that what's being proposed will hurt. Yeah. Somehow the surgeons make it sound like it doesn't hurt. Right. They make it sound like oh, it's inhumane not to get him out of the pain. By doing what? By putting him under full anesthesia, which could kill him, and will certainly make his dementia worse. You know that, right? Yeah, that is something we had discussed. Um, mm -hmm. So how is this an advantage to your dad? Uh, Yeah, I think we just were focusing on relieving the hip pain you know that's we were seeing him but you have already relieved the hip pain yeah you're that's not, true you're not that was kind of a recent development you're actually, it's like the, you're actually discussing increasing it <laughs> yeah Is yeah it's like really the ball had about. already started rolling toward the surgery and then we got the cbd going and we're like well this is great um but we hadn't considered, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is all we need, you know. That's all you need right now, yeah. for sure. Um, and, and yes, um, I, I, I hear all your points. I think they're completely valid. And go to the hospital. Go to where people have had hip replacements, you know. Find out, you know, really what kind of rehabilitation do they suggest? What are we talking about? How many, you know, physical therapy appointments, right? How long will he be in a wheelchair? What will he need to do? You know he won't be able to do anything for himself if he has a a hip replacement, at least not for a certain number of weeks. Yeah. So, again, for someone who has dementia, taking things away from them like that can sometimes be a setback where they never get them back. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I mean, they my, don't my... understand. Mm-hmm. He hasn't agreed to this. Yeah. Yeah, he, he can't. <laughs> he he really can't. can't. He can't. Yeah. So he, because he doesn't have your view of what it might be in the future. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um but it's not just like, wow, we're going to take out this bad part and put in another part, zip, zap, zoom, and everything is totally the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you haven't heard me say it, let me say it. Uh, people that I know who have joint replacements complain endlessly about them. Not that they wish they hadn't done it. 
but I can't kneel down like I could before. I can't do this that I could do before. I'm limited in this way. Yes, I have less pain, but the trade-off was this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think something that was has been really confusing about this situation also is that when we started this process, it was almost a year ago. And things have just changed a lot. Um, that's kind of, I think, the nature of how it goes with the dementia. So, um, so yeah, it's really good to stop <laughs> and reevaluate um, because the person he was like a year ago um, has really, it's really shifted quite a bit. Um, so some of the questions you're asking me, I think I would have answered different too. Um, even just a month ago. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think it would be a relief, really, if we felt like we didn't need to do this for him. That's how we feel. It's like we um, – and but it's so – You're very, not doing it for him. You're doing it yeah. to him. Yeah. And it's been kind of, yeah, anxiety-producing. Um Yes, I I think correctly so. Yeah. I really applaud you for finding, you know, an ointment that works and for making something that works. And, uh, you know, again, I want to remind you that there is a whole drugstore full of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories out there. Yeah, and and my mom's been working with that. Um, And, And, you know, they're effective. They're not addictive. Yeah. And, again, at this point, we don't – I wouldn't worry about long-term damage to his kidneys or his liver. Uh Uh-huh. Right. No. (laughs) Yeah. I certainly – you know, when I was taking two non-steroidal anti-inflammatories every two hours, which is a huge amount, Mm -hmm. right, I wasn't worried about long-term damage. I was was concerned about being okay right then. Right. And that the the addictive drugs simply don't work for me. Right. So I think what you said is you kind of already have a date for hip replacement. Yeah, it's coming up. And I think that you need to call them tomorrow and say, Things are changing very rapidly with my dad, and we need to put this off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, really... and don't be swayed. Mm-hmm. Because this doctor is a man- manipulator, and woman, from what you say. Mm-hmm. And they, this doctor may be a manipulator from the very best of intentions. I'm not in any way saying they're malevolent. I'm just saying that they will, from what you've said, try to emotionally manipulate you at this point. And so sometimes it's better just to call the receptionist and say, we have to, we have to put this off for now. My, things are changing really rapidly with my dad. I'll call back later to explain. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
unlike a therapy appointment, they can't make you pay for surgery if you don't show up. <laughs> right. uh. Yes, thank you. I'm really glad I called. It's been on my mind for weeks. So. What's your dad's name? His name's Ulrich. Ulrich, thanks for letting us know so that we can... Send Eric a hug, because whether or not he can think straight, he can sure feel a hug, can't he? Yeah. Yeah. I'm always for helping people enjoy their life the way they want it. Yes, yes, he deserves that for sure. <laughs> Don't um, we all? Yeah. Don't we all? There was someone who was fussing around me, and I said to my friend, I said, oh, I'm sure there's someone who really wants to be taken care of by being fussed over, but it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> comes from is you know just seeing is he suffering is he not what will ease it you know um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but yeah i in this conversation yeah. i'm actually kind of having that awakening moment of like actually when i go over there he pretty much seems calm <laughs> most of the time so it's really yeah. it's yeah. it might be just okay the way it is I think it's okay the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I said to my dad, so dad, what's new and interesting? And he said, absolutely nothing. (laughs) And it was like that pivot point, you know, it was like, oh, okay. From this point on, my dad is walking toward death. He just told me that he's he's let go of it. He's he's not gonna you know do anything active, but whatever whatever is available to take him, he's open to it. Yeah. And I saw him just you know give up the pieces one by one from there. It was right. chilling, horrible. I wanted to scream, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> but it's his right. life, not mine. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, I think we've been on that journey with him as well. Um, the last year or two, um, I think I kind of saw him letting those things go. Um, I've yeah. been been grieving that, you know, <laughs> kind of little by little. But um, yes, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's good to be reminded where we're at right now. So thank you. There's a point at which each one of us makes that decision. <clears throat> to walk toward death. Yeah, I think he did. He was talking about it. That was kind of some of his last coherent sentences. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you love him enough to support that? All right. All I right, think thank you. You do. Okay, good night. You're welcome. Dream blessings. Good night. Dream blessings. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. And it looks like we have about uh, 10 minutes before our guest joins us. There are three callers with their hands raised. We'll go right to the 215, and you're live with Susan in the 215. Hi, Susan. Um, I had a brief limited conversation today about turkey tail. Um, So I don't have too many facts around it, um, but I can describe a little bit of it. But it just made me want to understand a little bit more about that and how it's supposed to be used. Um, I remember a conversation a long time ago, uh, not with me, but you had said, you know, regarding chaga mushroom, you know, it's not meant to be used in Starbucks lattes. Um, and so it takes this- 100 years for a chaga to grow. Turkey tails grow in a matter of weeks. <laughs> But it just made me wonder what is the right way to use that mushroom. And so the person was saying that there is research being done that uh, turkey tail mushroom could be a way to, I don't remember if it's either either or prevent or treat certain cancers or virals like breast cancer, um, Let's start here. Back in the 50s at Duke University, mushrooms were screened for their ability to stop the growth of cancer cells in petri dishes. Every single mushroom tested, including white button mushrooms from the supermarket, stopped the growth of virtually every kind of cancer cell in petri dishes. Mm. It is true that mushrooms exert an effect against the growth of cancer cells. When I thought I might have cancer, I began to ingest large amounts of mushrooms. I've always eaten mushrooms. Make sure that mushrooms are a regular part of my diet. I forage mushrooms from the forest and make sure that I that I eat a fair amount of mushrooms, but that might be, you know, only 12 or 15 times a year. So I actually started, you know, making sure that that mushrooms were part of my daily fare and large amounts, and I looked for blends of mushrooms because mushrooms, unlike herbs, which work very, very well individually, mushrooms are incredibly synergistic. If a reishi mushroom would give you three zings and a shiitake mushroom will give you four zings, together they'll give you 12. Mm. Yeah. So... The My favorite blend is called My Community. It's created by Paul Stamitz, and it's available from Fungi Perfecti. And it is a blend of 30 mushrooms and their myceliums. Paul has done a huge amount of work on mushrooms and mycelium. And in fact... The turkey tail product that has been scientifically studied is turkey tail mycelium supplied by Paul to study. Huh. Not the mushroom itself. Not the mushroom itself, but the mycelium. 
there was a dose-dependent reaction. The more turkey tail that was given to women, and some of these women had breast cancer, the more likely the cancer was to recede or go away. You can probably find that study. It's pretty easy to find study detail and breast cancer. I don't know if any other studies have been done, but it's possible. Fungi Perfect, I could tell you where they are. Paul himself is a fabulous scientist. The other group of mushrooms that I took is called Five Defenders, and it's from a company that calls themselves Real Mushrooms, which means they don't use mycelium. As a matter of fact, they make fun of mycelium. And their Five Defenders, mushrooms, real mushrooms, are grown in China organically. I'm not sure that my mind is able to hold those thoughts at the same time in China organically. Mm. Nonetheless, I did use the powder of both of these, not the tincture, but the powder which I added to my food. In fact, sometimes what I did, because I was taking quite a lot of herbal tinctures at the time, was that I would measure out the powder and then I would wet them down with my tincture so that it would be kind of like a frosting and I would put it on a chocolate cookie and eat it. So, I have to to summarize, you're in good health, you want to stay in good health. Right. Be sure to eat be sure to eat mushrooms at least now and then. You're in a situation in which you think you might have cancer. Begin using mushrooms immediately. Don't rely on one mushroom to be specific, but use groups of mushrooms. After quite a while when my cancer was eventually removed surgically, it was found that there was no spread of any kind and no metastasis. I lay that very much in the lap of the mushrooms. So if if I'm talking about just being a healthy person and just wanting to be preventive for the future, is turkey tail something that you would eat just like any other, just like the button mushrooms or shiitake? Or is it only that you're supposed to take turkey tail when something's wrong? Turkey tail is a shelf fungus. It's the texture of cardboard. Oh. Nobody eats turkey tail for pleasure. Oh. And again, I remind you that the study was done on the mycelium, not on the mushroom. Okay. Yeah, whatever research they're oh, talking no, about. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take um, turkey tail to prevent cancer. Okay. I would make sure there were mushrooms in my diet. I would also make sure that I ate cooked greens. I would also make sure that I drank nourishing herbal infusions. I would also make sure that I ate a variety of whole grains. I would also make sure that there was adequate protein in my diet. I would also make sure that all my fats were organic. There's a lot of things that I do to prevent cancer. Right. 
Mushrooms is just one little drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. And again, no study has found that women who regularly consume turkey tail have less breast cancer. Huh. Not that it's been studied, not that it's been looked at. Those are long-term studies. They're difficult to come by. Right. Okay. Most of the time, from the time when a cancer is initiated in the body until the time when it's big enough to discern is 20 to 30 years. Hmm. There are more aggressive cancers that can grow faster than that, certainly. There's some breast cancers that are aggressive enough that you can't see them on a mammogram, and by the time you come for the next mammogram, you're already at stage four. Wow. But that cancer wasn't initiated then. It was initiated at least a decade before. Hmm. Remember, cancer starts out with one cell, and it has to double. So one to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16. (sighs) You know, it's time-consuming at the beginning. Even a million cells is only the size of a printed period. Wow. And a doubling rate of... A doubling every hundred days, that takes ten years to get to the first million cells. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mushrooms are not a, a magic pill that will prevent any kind of cancer, but they're a reasonable part of a healthy cancer-preventing diet yes. that includes Lots of other things that I mentioned, as well as things I didn't mention, like connection with people and movement and satisfaction, feeling like you're worthwhile. Got it. All right. Thank you, you, Archie. You do. Okay. (laughs) All right. And now it's time for Sam Garcia. Sam Garcia, the author of Regenerative Business, How to Align Your Business with Nature for More Abundance, Fulfillment, and Impact. Sam is also the founder of Dirty Alchemy, the marketing agency and consulting firm for spiritual entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Sam Garcia hosts the Regenerative Business Podcast and helps ambitious online business owners to grow their revenue and visibility while actually having a life outside of business in the Regenerative Business Creation Lab. Sam Garcia graduated from the University of Michigan with a bachelor's in physics and a minor in environmental science. She went on to get a permaculture design certification and then moved to Maui in 2013. She co-founded the Regenerative Agriculture Business Living Earth Systems with her now husband, Eddie Garcia, in 2015 on the side of growing her marketing business. 
Sam and Eddie work and live off-grid on the regenerative farm in Oluwalu with their three dogs, five cats, three salamanders, chickens, peacocks, sheep, and wild boar. Welcome to the show, Sam. Hi, Susan. Good to talk to you. It's great to have you here. Why don't you explain to our listeners what regenerative business is? I doubt they've ever even heard that term. Yeah, of course. Um, so you, I'm sure everyone who is tuning into the show and is interested in herbal health is has some sort of relationship with nature. And the concept of regenerative business is really around designing systems like nature does, including our business systems. So where a, if we're looking at human systems where we create these factories and machines and also gardens or monocultures, uh, monoculture-style farms, if we leave the systems that we create alone with themselves, then they will die. Like if anyone else here has a garden and they leave their garden in the heat of summer for even a week or maybe even a few days, it will wither and die. Versus if you think of nature's designed growing system, a forest, we can leave it for weeks, years, decades, and not only is it not dead, but it is thriving. So the idea of regenerative business is how do we actually use the principles that nature lays out for us to design our business systems? Wow. That sounds great. Of course, when I go away from my garden, it doesn't die because I grow mostly weeds, and weeds are the original regenerative agriculture. Oh, absolutely. The highest fertility stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, uh, and I saw a third of my forest die in a drought. Excuse me? I saw a third of the forest that I am part of die in a drought. So regenerative, yeah, but if you go away and leave, you can't leave a forest without water for years and years and have it survive. Right, but that, that doesn't include human intervention, right? It's a, a forest right, right. in its natural environment. In its natural um, environment, Sometimes things die. Not only that, one of my neighbors introduced the emerald ash borer, and now there are no more ash trees in the forest. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a, that really is a part so, of regeneration, is embracing that side of, of nature, which is death and decomposition, and realizing that that is an important part of fertility. And for myself, I consider myself a creative in addition to a business owner. And a lot of people that I talk with, and I'm sure that are listening, they consider themselves creatives. And the way to really boost our creativity and unblock those creative channels in business or outside of business is to focus on what creates fertility, because that's what creativity is, right? And that is death and decomposition. more so a lot of us in um we are if, 
if you are a business owner or even just a part of our society, there's such a focus on growth and you need to be making more money. You need to be growing the size of your house, the size of your assets, the amount of productivity you have and how do we boost our productivity and increase our efficiency. And I mean, of course, if we're just looking at that languaging, it's very factory and machine oriented, which is not necessarily aligned with how nature would design. But if you want to be in these consistent cycles of creation and and consistent in the sense that we cycle in and out of these cre- high creative, creative periods, then we also have to recognize that the other side of that is death and decomposition. So like if you are have a garden or you are a part of a CSA, then that's truly organic, then they will have a um, composting pile on site where they are taking the uh, food waste and maybe coffee grounds from local coffee shops and any extra leaves or roots on the farm or garden um, on site, and they are taking that and allowing it to die and allowing it to rot and bringing in different beneficial, supportive creatures like our fungus and like uh, roly polies and worms to the macro and the micro to break things down. And through that release, it actually turns into uh, fertile soil for the next season. And within our lives and within our businesses, if we are really focused on continual growth and continual creativity and really pushing ourselves towards that without any time of rest, without any time of death, without any time of decomposition, without any time of, of allowing things to become fertile again, then we will be finding these blocks or things becoming hard or we suddenly have a business or a life that we hate because we haven't done any controlled burns or um, allowed things to die away that was supposed to die away. Well said. I Thank you. <laughs> I, I, when I'm talking about forests with people, I tell them that if they want wood from the forest, if they want to cut firewood, they need to cut living trees. Mm. And they always think, well, I'm just going to go out there and cut the dead trees because after all, they're dead anyhow. And I say, no, you don't understand. The dead tree supports a hundred times more life than the living tree. Mm. You cut down a dead tree in a forest, you're cutting the heart out of the forest. Yeah. And I live in a forested area where we can harvest a quart of wood per acre per year regeneratively. Mm-hmm. You know, we grew oak. We used to grow ash before the ash all died. We grow a lot of beautiful hardwoods here. But you want to leave the dead ones because that's that's where... All the magic is happening. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I mean, 
I, another piece of this is with all of nature is that like it does depend on climate. It does, and in the metaphor of business, it depends on your own um, natural inclinations. Because I live on Maui, and I'm sure if anyone was paying attention to the news, there was just a very, very devastating fire fire here, and a lot of it had to do with poor land management. So, in a desert environment or a forced desert environment, because certain entities and organizations have rerouted the waterways um, for their own means versus what is naturally supposed to be happening in creating a desert environment, suddenly a very dangerous situation can happen where there are, it's a wildfire that will take things over in an hour. So dead trees sometimes mean additional death too. So it's realizing that not everything is black and white good or bad, right or wrong, this is the way, that is the wrong way, but realizing that we need to observe and slow down and, and recognize the situations that we're in, the climates that we're in, our natural in- inclinations that we have in order to have a thriving system. And to be responsive. Hmm, yeah. I'm sure that you, with your science background, as I do, my major was mathematics, but the focus in artificial intelligence, this was in 1964. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> when there was a bug in the in the computer, believe me, it was an actual moth. <laughs> Those are big <laughs> things. You used to wear sweaters to go in there. They were cold. Burr. <laughs> And anyhow, you probably understand that evolution does not mean better. Right. Yeah. That evolution means adaption. Mm-hmm. And that if we want our business to be evolutionary, it needs to be adaptable to the climate. Yeah. Responsive. So you've created, it sounds like, several businesses. Tell us a little more about your businesses. Oh, of course. So one of my businesses is called Dirty Alchemy, and that's a marketing business that I started a little over a decade ago. And we work mainly with online businesses, so people who are creating online courses, who are coaches, online service providers. And then I also have a – my husband is a – Farmer, so we have a um, regenerative agriculture business together. So, if somebody were to hire Dirty Alchemy, what would they hire Dirty Alchemy to do? So, we do consulting and we also do trainings, but if you're hiring us for our services, then you're hiring us to rebuild your website. Um, to redo your branding. And we are all women and very spiritually inclined and very nervous system aware. So we we talk with with energetics in mind. Um, So when we're talking about branding, we're like, oh, how how does this, these, um, these colors and this wording resonate with your people and tune to their nervous system? And how does this actually 
um, actually emanate out the right frequency that you're trying to put out and what feelings are you trying. So we're, we're a very different marketing firm than what you usually find out there, which is usually more centered around this machine factory style of marketing and masculine style of marketing. I am really enjoying knowing that this exists and is available. And uh, I was hoping that's what the dirty meant. I had actually had uh, someone who said, I would never take a class with Susan about plants. She has dirt under her fingernails. And my reply, of course, was, why would you ever want to study gardening or plants with someone who doesn't have dirt under their fingernails? (laughs) Seriously. Oh, my goodness. Seriously, I mean, I don't care how many times I wash my hands the next minute they're in the dirt again. <laughs> well, what, so the, the, the birth of the name Dirty Alchemy actually came from this idea of making the, like, dirt has been considered this thing, and dirty is suddenly this profane and thing that you keep in the bedroom or thing that you, you want to wash off your hands when it's actually the thing that is the most fertile and the most, like, connected to our wildness and our creativity. So dirty alchemy, that term for me and why it came through for me is how do we actually build businesses that are allowing us to go on a spiritual evolution within ourselves. Oh, sorry, that's my little dog. Um, To go on a spiritual evolution so that we, through our businesses, become more of ourselves, which require us to address the most profane parts of ourselves and make them sacred. So... I find business to be this spiritual practice and um, a lot of people resonate with that idea. And the people who come and work with us usually um, are just delighted. I have a little program that gives me a spiritual thought for the day. And the thought for today, erase the line between work and play. Oh, yeah. And did you do that today? I have devoted my life to doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yo, I make a living by taking people outside and introducing them to plants. Uh... <laughs> yeah. You know what? So, so my my husband, he um, he grew up on Molokai and like has lived off grid since he was a preteen, and they told him he couldn't eat surf so he shouldn't spend all of his time surfing and then he just went and got a pro surf career and was like yo I'm eating surfing (laughs) and (laughs) I I look at him because I I grew up very in the box like I followed all the rules got the degree I was supposed to get and I look at him and I'm just like wow what is this thing from birth that some people have where they follow they follow their true path even when people are telling them not to. And not everyone has that, um, not everyone has, I don't know, that will or that trust in themselves from such a young age. And um, it sounds like you have that, you have, have had that where you, you, you've trusted your path from such a young age. So it's just beautiful to hear. Thank you. I actually remember the moment. I was riding a mm. bus home, Why? where I had been swimming, and I was 11 years old, and I looked at the adults around me, and they all looked absolutely miserable. Mm. And I 
said, yeah. I don't know what on earth has gotten into them, but I hereby swear that I will resist it with all of my might. Mm. How old were you? Eleven. Because oh to be God. alive <laughs> is to be in bliss. To be alive is mm-hmm. joy. Mm-hmm. And so every time somebody tried to tell me that, what was the way I said, nah, you're wrong. Yeah. Take a look at what's going on. I mean, what is nature doing? Nature is that... Is nature is having a perpetual orgasm out there, gang? Yeah. And we live in such a cool time. Big love fest, right? (laughs) Yeah, and we can be a part of it. And we live in such a cool, cool time in in the world where you can really become an expert and make a really beautiful living with whatever you're actually interested in, because whatever you're interested in, you're going to give all like your 100% to, and you will become the best or you'll become the most unique in your unique way in that corner of the world in that corner of an industry that you've fallen in love with. So. Yeah. And with dirty alchemy help, you can get a step forward in that you don't have to figure out everything yourself. Dirty Alchemy is there to help you put yourself out in a way that resonates with your business and your audience. Mm. Well, thank you for the plug. <laughs> um, something interesting that I have found. And is there, is there a specific are... website? that people should go to for that, or is there a general website for everything you do? Yeah, so the the general website for everything is thedirtyalchemy.com. So there's just a the at the beginning of it. And, of course, starting just start with reading my book, Regenerative Business, um, and you can go to thedirtyalchemy.com for a free couple chapters of the book just by putting your email in on the homepage. So you can jump right in right now (laughs) or today. Right. Yay. (laughs) What's your favorite story of regenerative business? So what feels like the most relevant story right now is, is this concept of controlled burns. Um, And it was relevant before all of these fires on Maui. Um, But I just, I'm seeing so many businesses that, are realizing that something doesn't feel quite right. And that's either because they've, they've evolved as individuals or as teams or their, um, their offers have been following a certain blueprint that wasn't quite right for them, but they were just charging forward. And the concept of a controlled burn is where you – like the traditional practice is going into a forest and burning off certain trees and burning certain sections of a forest so that there isn't a why it will prevent a larger, more catastrophic wildfire, but it also boosts the fertility of the forest because ash is a fertilizer and it allows more sunlight to come through to reach the forest floor and to support the trees that are around it. So a controlled burn in your business can be killing off a program that you have or an offering that you have or a service that you have that doesn't feel right anymore, but it might be scary. 
it might be scary because you're making money from it in your business. <laughs> so uh, doing those, I've seen so many um, businesses uh, actually do these controlled burns this year and come out of it with so much more enthusiasm and passion and energy around their businesses at, on the other side of it. So, I mean, if anyone listening here today, they have a, a business or a side hustle or a creative pursuit, or I mean, even in a corporate job, if there are things that you're doing that don't feel right, just looking at it, I mean, first and foremost, I think the best question is, is like, what do I want to be known for 10 years from now? Or what do I want my business to look like 10 years from now? Because so much of us are looking over the next six months, where if we're, if we're actually trying to design our business like an ecosystem, we can't just plan for the next six months. We have to plan out the next 10 years, because how big is that tree going to grow? Will it, will it shade out that other tree? Will it kill this other thing? So what do we actually want to be known for or to be doing in the next 10 years? And start making actions in that direction, because as soon as you actually start making actions in that direction, it will actually quicken the process of getting there. And I always remind women that a woman's first right is the right to change her mind. If you go go off in some direction and you get off in that direction, you think, I don't like this either, you can change your mind. It's okay. I love that you're saying this. (laughs) Yes. I I, I know know that sometimes I don't know that I don't want to do something until I'm doing it. And then I go, oh, why did I think I want to do this? I don't want to do this at all. Oh, I've just accepted that as a part of my personality of, like, I won't fully know whether I like it or not once I'm in it, once my body has experienced it. So I just need to go all in and try. <laughs> right. Give yourself the opportunity. And if it's yuck, go with yuck. <laughs> what haven't you talked about that you want to talk about? Hmm. What have I really haven't we talked about? Um, I think I think one really important thing when it comes to regenerative business or creating your life like an ecosystem is realizing that it's not all on you, and there are ways to actually give not give but allow power to come to you, allow energy to come to you from the other elements in your life. So whether that is actually collaborating with other humans or delegating and allowing people to actually help you, whether that is creating systems in your life that bring in abundance, that bring in timber, like you were saying, um, but these things that are growing in around you and it's not just all on you. So, if you can lean into it is natural to be supported, it is natural to have um, these externalized energies in place so that you can actually thrive and you're not actually cut off from the system but a part of the system, then things can can feel so much more peaceful in your business and in your life. Yes. And peaceful isn't always the most creative. I remind remind the apprentices 
that at my age I could just kick back and enjoy the fruits of my labor, but that I'm continuing to teach because I want to be upset. Mm. Why upset? Because it shows me what I haven't been looking at. Mm-hmm. It's to be upset is to me the essence of creativity. Mm. Up. I think I'll use the word activated personally. <laughs> yes, they activated too. But I like upset because along with you, I want us to get down and dirty. Yeah. And activate has mm-hmm. more of a high thing. And upset is being thrown back down on the ground. I often talk about uh, a whole food store that I worked at where I was told I had to sell this herb from China. And after a year, you couldn't get it. And people, women were really upset with me. And I realized that I had been encouraged to crawl out on the limb of a tree, and then the powers that be had cut the limb off, and I was on the ground, and I decided mm. to stay there. <laughs> which is which is why I champion the weeds. Yeah. You become friends with the weeds, they're going to be with you everywhere on this planet. Yeah. You'll never be without friends. Sam Garcia, what a wonderful wonderful job you are doing out there reminding people about nature and their nature and the regenerative creating and dying and composting and sprouting of it all what's last thing you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening just the importance of action right now. Um, I, when I look to the future, I'm sometimes afraid and I work with businesses and within marketing. And a part of that is in order to be close to the pulse of the action takers in the world, which I see as business owners and entrepreneurs, these people who are lean and who are agile within, um, changing society, and we really need people connecting with their true nature right now. We really need people going all in on their passions and going all in on the things that are meaningful to them because the future is a little scary in terms of who's in in charge in politics and who's... Um, in charging government, and I see it as if we can take back, if we can harness powers within ourselves and within our families and to, quote, unquote, have a seat at the table, we are that much more likely to actually make large-scale change, not just individual change, change where we're thought, like no longer using straws, but when we build up this power within our business and within our families and within our lives, and this intellectual capital and experiential capital and social capital and political capital and all of these things that can really rally us up, that's what we need right now. So if you have that inspiration and inclination, please, like, hear me and just go all in on it. We really need you. 
All right, Sam Garcia, the Dirty Alchemy dot com. I think that we are all reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, and I thank you for the dirty strands you have brought to this <laughs> undertaking. We need the, the fertility and creativity of the decay and the dirt and all of the wild and wonderful things that you are doing. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Sarah Ellen, for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine Green blessings, everybody. Until next week. Thank you, Susan. Aloha.